The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Turn in your copy of God's Word now to uh, Psalm 111. Psalm 111 is our uh, passage that will guide us this morning, but also into our ministry year. And so uh, if you're new to redemption, maybe uh, you're unfamiliar with this, uh, but uh, each uh, year, uh, really for the last several months, I've been before the Lord praying and uh, planning and picking out a ministry year theme and what will guide our church. And throughout that process before the Lord, he kept bringing me back to this, to Psalm 111. Psalm 111, and these uh, two words are really this phrase, that holy and awesome is his name. Now, in the midst of COVID and the, the season that we find ourselves in as a nation, uh, you hear among church leaders that we're asking this question as ministry was really turned upside down. The question was, who do we want to be as a church? Or what type of church do we want to be? You may have even asked this if you're new to our church or you've moved to a, a new location. You may have even asked this question yourself in your life of, well, what type of church do we want to be part of? Who are we? What, is a, what, 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 what type of church? And often what we mean are denominational preferences or personal preferences or the way that uh, the preaching is or the way the music is or how they do communion. And these are questions of identity, reputation, and mission. And it's not necessarily a wrong question, but even asking the question can potentially come from the wrong starting place. See, the church is not about us. It's not about our preferences. Church is about God, period. Church is about God's glory, about God's Son, about God's Spirit, about His presence. This is why the church exists, and this is why God's people gather. That would be a great place for an amen from somebody. Amen. amen. There you go. You know, this, and it is why it is essential that we gather. And it is ultimately why it is essential that we know who God is. So we come to worship Him. We come to gather uh, under His name, not for our sake, but for God's sake. And Psalm 111 paints a, a glorious picture for us of the person of God. And so here's really the, the big idea. Here's the, the nail for not only the message this morning and this passage, but that will guide our ministry year this year. And it is this, that the person of God inspires our praise of God. Let me say that again. The, the person of God inspires our praise of God. And when I say person, I mean his identity. God's characters, characteristics, or what scholars would say, theologians would say, the attributes of God. Those things that uh, not only are his person, but come out and are demonstrated, and as we see in his deeds, in his work, and his actions. And Psalm 111 does a masterful job of weaving these uh, attributes of God together. It is really a work of art. Psalm 111 is a psalm of praise, but what is uh, not seen here in our English translation, that I'll read for us in a minute, but in the Hebrew, it's an, alphabetic, uh, an alphabetical psalm. As each phrase begins with a, a, another uh, letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so it is a work of 
art. Turn your attention here now, and I want to read it for us, and then we will uh, get into it deeper. But Psalm 111 says this, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is God's word for God's people. Isn't this a beautiful chapter of scripture? Doesn't this give a voice to our praise of God? You know, and as I've been studying this and praying through these 10 verses and meditating on it, and you prayed through these verses, came to the prayer summit a few weeks ago, but as we pray through these uh, verses, we find numerous attributes of God. And it is important if the person of God is what inspires our praise of God, then we must know who He truly is, shouldn't we? We must go deeper in our understanding of who this one true and living God is that we serve. And the more we know him, the greater and more passionate and the deeper and more affectionate our worship becomes. Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in London in the mid-1800s. And in his commentary on this psalm, he, he comments this. He says, many are ignorant of what their creator has done. And hence they are foolish in heart and silent as to the praises of God. And this evil can only be removed by a remembrance of God's work and a diligent study of them, end quote. And so we ask this question this morning. As we worship today and as we go into this ministry year, we ask this question, well, who is our God? And I want to just work our way through it as we point out some of these uh, attributes of God and the way that we've seen them in our life and in the life of our church. And so first, who is our God? Well, in verse 3, we're told He is majestic. He is majestic as seen in His work. All you must do is look upon His creation. Verse 3 says that full of splendor and majesty is His work. Not Splenda, for that's not splendid. But splendor and majesty. As we look upon His creation to the most minuscule of molecules, to the expanse of the universe, all is pointing to our majestic Creator. And to say that he is splendid and majestic means that he is kingly, that he is lofty, he is dignified in all he does and above all others. And we experience this daily. We experience this regularly through his perfect providence worked out in our life as time and time again God has come through. We've experienced this as a church from the very beginning as our consuming passion was to lift high the name of King Jesus. As the church was founded on this vertical principle that God is above all others. 
And that he would be worshipped among a body of people in this church. And as we gathered in that, in that core group, as God would bring people who were zealous for the glory of God, he began to build a church here. He began to draw people, many of you who were part of those core group days that were saying, yes, praying, believing, giving, serving to make that happen. As he brought men like Aaron Orozco to lead worship, a man consumed with the glory of God, extremely gifted. And as God began to build our core team, we saw the majesty of God in every detail as this church grew. We saw it in every detail and as he began to judge and judge righteously and wisely, which is another attribute. Who is our God? What do we see in the second half of verse 3? That he is righteous forever and always right and perfect in his justice. See, every leader has his faults. Every leader has his mistakes. Every leader has his sin struggles, but not our God. To say that he is righteous means that he is the standard of perfection in everything. None of his decisions are wrong or without or lacking information. But our God is righteous. And we experience this daily in contrast to the injustices of our day and the right judgments of our God. We saw, uh, we've seen this in the life of our church as God has answered prayer after prayer after prayer from the very get-go. You may remember, and some of you were in this season, and some of you have heard the stories, how God answered our prayers for a place to meet. As we were turned away for uh, maybe unjust reasons or who knows what reasons, from meeting place after meeting place, until we committed ourselves to a 10-day prayer challenge. And on day three, we hear back from the school that they are willing and open to allow us to meet there. And on day 10 of our prayer challenge, God opened the door for us to meet at Freiheit Elementary those first two years. See, God's timing, his wisdom, his dealing with people was just and right in everything. And we long for the righteousness of God to be displayed on this earth, don't we? We long for justice to be doled out in everything because this is why God works. This is why we long for Jesus to return and to come back and to rule with his uh, rod, don't we? We long for him to come back and rule with grace and mercy, which is what we're told there in verse 4, this uh, pair of who God is, that God or the Lord is gracious and merciful. For him to be gracious means that uh, we receive a reward that we did not earn, that we did not deserve. And for God to show us mercy means that he withholds punishment that we did earn, that we did deserve. And God is the perfect combination of both of these. To say that God is gracious and merciful means that he is the standard of kindness and pity and sympathy in all that he does. And don't we experience this daily through the common grace of God as he uh, brings the sun up every day, as he causes it to rain upon us, as uh, we breathe the breath that we breathe every day in the life that we have. See, every morning we wake up as another expression of God's grace and mercy to humanity. We have his revealed grace and mercy to us in his word, which verse 4 says he is caused to be remembered. His works, he is recorded here in his Bible. See, the Bible that you hold in your hands is daily a reminder of God's grace and mercy towards you. That he is not silent, but that he has made a way for us to be saved. 
We've seen God's grace and mercy and lives transformed throughout our church, haven't we? Thinking all the way back to our first baptisms of Lonnie and Lenita and Ryan as they professed faith in Christ and publicly uh, uh, professed their transformation before us. Over and over, God's grace and mercy has been shown as people have come to faith and we have grown in our faith. And we could go on and on about God's grace and mercy, couldn't we? We have story after story. Why? Because God is generous. He is generous as we see in verse 5. He provides food for those who fear Him. He is always giving, never needing, ever lending without any expectation of return. God is the great giver, and to say that He is generous means that He is lavish and abundant. God is not miserly. He does not withhold uh, what does not uh, honor Him, but He is overflowing in everything because He owns it all and He knows it all. He gives us generously in physical gifts, but also in wisdom and spiritual wisdom that we need. We experience this daily in the food that we eat, don't we? Expression of who God is. As we eat a meal and as we have work to take care of, as we have funds in our bank account, and we have seen the generosity of God from the very beginning as we have never lacked here at our church. As funds came in, especially in those early days, when we were much smaller, but over and over again, God has come through to meet every need and to give us wisdom for every decision, just as we, he promised to do in James chapter 1. So we ask him for wisdom to he would give generously. And he's been doing this forever. He has forever been generous. Why? Because he's loyal. He's loyal. He's always remembering and never forgetting. It says that he remembers his covenant forever. When God speaks, it is done. His promises are never left unfilled. His covenants are never broken. And to say that God is loyal means that He is reliable, that He is steadfast, that He is faithful in everything that He does. We experience this daily in the confidence that we have to get up and to be about the work that God has entrusted to us, to go to work, to apply ourselves to the responsibility that God has given it to us and to see it as a mission opportunity. And why can we have the confidence? Because God has never gone back on any of His promises. We've seen this in our church as Jesus has come through and as He promised to build the church and look at where we are today, church. As we've seen the church launched, as we saw small groups launched there shortly after uh, we began gathering for worship. And this was not of our doing, but it was through the power of God. That he has demonstrated to us as verse 6, he's shown the people the power of his work. See, God has demonstrated his power over and over and over since the beginning. What have we seen in recent weeks all throughout the book of Exodus? Is there any enemy too powerful for our God? Is there any situation that is too severe for our Lord? Absolutely not. What did we see before that throughout the the book of Mark and the life of Jesus? Was any sickness beyond his healing? Was any person beyond his saving grace? Absolutely not. God has caused his power to be made known. To say that he is powerful means that nothing is beyond his ability. Nothing is too hard, no problem, too complex. And we experience this daily as our earth stays in motion. We see this daily as uh, people are becoming saved and matured and growing in their faith. And as we receive from God our spiritual inheritance, we've seen this over and over in the life of our church. As saints are multiplied, as small groups have been multiplied, and as people have come to faith. 
You see the power of God to transform. I just think of the work that he's done in Hunter and Aaron to bring them to faith, to grow them through this last season and through severe trials to not go back on his promises, but to prove the tested genuineness of their faith and the goodness and security of our God. See, our God, who is our God? He is powerful, but he is also our provider. So he gave to Israel the, the inheritance of the nation. See, God is the ultimate giver. He is the source of blessing. And for Israel, God gave them the inheritance of this land and of the multitude of offspring that would come from them. And from that inheritance, they were to be a blessing from the, for the nations around them. Not to just take it and hoard it and to go hide in this promised land flowing with milk and honey, but to be a blessing to the people around them. So to say that God is our provider means that he is the source and supply and supervisor of all our success, both of material things and in spiritual things. And we experience this daily through uh, the life that we live and through the salvation that we see, through the uh, success of, of, of God raising up disciples and the Great Commission uh, being fulfilled as we take the gospel to our city and in our neighborhood and across to the nations. See, our church has been blessed these last three years as we have been committed to making disciples and uh, teaching you the gospel and equipping you and sending you out to be an influence, to be salt and light in our city and to the nations. And God has continued to do this over and over and over. He's done it in our church as we raised the funds and moved into this building just a year ago. This was the Lord's doing as He has provided us a home A home, a launching pad, a training ground for us to be proclaimers of the gospel. To learn of the spiritual blessing that we have. And then to be sent out and to display the works of God. To tell all that God is faithful and just. See, this is what verse 7 takes us to. These next two uh, attributes that really pair together. That all he does, the works of his hands are faithful and just. And everything he does, all, he, God always comes through. He's faithful. He is right in, 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 in his timing and he is right in his deeds and all he does. Especially in forgiveness. See, our God is, is great as he has drawn men to himself to be saved. As 1 John 1, 1.9 tells us that we, uh, if we confess our sins, then what? God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, then we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, church, we experience the faithfulness and justice of God every day as we repent and believe on Christ. Yes, when we first came to the knowledge of our, of our sin and the weightiness, the grievousness of our sin against God and the free gift of salvation... It was offered in Christ that he would be faithful to provide a way and just to pay the penalty for our sin, that Christ would take it on our behalf. And we who are saved, we live in that every day. And you who are, who are wrestling with this, you who are, who are new to these concepts, today can be the day of salvation where you can experience the faithfulness and justice of God to deal with your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and to make you a new creation in Jesus Christ. Amen. And we've seen this church all throughout our history. 
as God has saved men and women, some of you that he has brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We've seen it as not only as he brought people to salvation, but he's matured you and given you gifts for his service. As we think about moving into this building and, and the, how amazed we were that God would raise up the right people to work in this, in this church and to build out a building here. As we think of uh, Connie working for a commercial construction company and the pains being, uh, being a source of, of uh, help and, and, and uh, instruction and thinking through all the details of a building project. Of God saving John, who is a painter who would lead the charge in painting this building. And Gordon, who's a trim carpenter and would uh, deck this place out. And the many others who were gifted in very specific ways. God was faithful and just to move us into this building. That we might worship and gather and praise the Lord on a morning like today. Isn't God so good? Isn't so good? Because not only is he faithful and just, but we believe that he is trustworthy. See, it says all his precepts are trustworthy. His words, his precepts are trustworthy because he himself is. Because his character is true and right. Therefore, what he says is true and right. And so to say that God is trustworthy means that we can always believe him. And we never have to doubt the, the, uh, the veracity of his word nor the rightness of his word. That his way is always best. We don't have to take it with a grain of salt. We don't have to take his word uh, with skepticism or doubt. But we can trust it fully and freely and immediately. Knowing that his way is the best. You know, we've experienced this daily. The trustworthiness of God as we follow his commands with joy. As we, as we see God proving himself over and over and over that his way is best. We see that personally, and we've experienced this in the life of our church, as we've just sought faithfully to teach the Word of God, to make disciples, to raise up men and women, to follow Christ, and to lead others to follow Christ. And we've seen God be faithful to His promises, even as we are in a season now of growing in attendance. So we've gone to two services, and as God is growing our church, we have seen the trustworthiness of just following the Lord, trusting His timing, trusting His methods, knowing that he is, lastly here, he is also active. In verse 9, we're told that God has sent redemption to his people. See, God is not aloof. He is not distant. He is not uh, uh, out of tune with what is happening in the world. To say that God is active means that he is not simply reactive to the uh, things that are happening on the earth, but that he is the primary instigator of all things that happen on this earth. When it comes to our redemption, when it comes to our salvation, God knew that we could not save ourselves, that we were unable to move ourselves, that we were unable to make ourselves alive. So he sent Christ. He sent Christ who would live the life that we could not live and die the death that we were supposed to die, that he would be our substitute, our atonement, that his body would be broken and his blood poured out that we might be redeemed. See, he redeemed Israel here. Uh, he, he redeemed Israel from Egypt, from their bondage the, and, and to, from many other enemies throughout their history. And so too has he redeemed us who are his children from the bondage of sin and our enslavement to sin. And this was God's activity. And we experience this daily. As even we who are saved now, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, Philippians 2 says. 
And we see the activity of God in our life. We've heard the testimonies here as God's Spirit comes after us. And God, uh, we're experiencing this even in our day, even now, as God is growing us in our holiness today, as new leaders, new elders are being raised up, and new disciples are being raised up, and as we are maturing and growing in our faith. See, God is not done with us, church. And all of these attributes, these 12 that we've looked up, they come and they reach a crescendo. They are summed up here at the end of verse 9 in these two culminating attributes that holy and awesome is our God, is His name. There is none like Him in His holiness. He is unique. He is completely other. To say that He is awesome is not like, dude, that's an awesome truck, man but to mean that He inspires our awe and wonder as we see His work even in the midst of the chaos of our day. That we see His light shine in the darkness of our day. That we see disciples being made and churches being planted and things happening even in the midst of all the threats against faith and church and religious liberty. That God is yet holy and awesome church. And this is the crescendo. This is what catapults our praise. And this is really what is woven throughout the rest of the psalm. This application then, a life of praise. The psalm begins with just the the command, praise the Lord. And so we we ask this question, well then, what does a life of praise look like? See, the weight of his attributes is what catapults then our praise upward. Like one of those carnival games, that as, as the weight of the glory of God, it, it, it comes down, it lifts our praise vertical to the Lord, causing us to praise Him. And the more we glorify and grow in Christ, we want to see these testimonies of God answering uh, our prayers and of people coming to faith. And so I submit to you the second question then. Well, what does a life of praise look like? In verse 1a, we're told this, we're to be all in. A life of praise means that we are to be all in. What does he say here? Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord when I feel like it. I will give thanks to the Lord with a half heart. What does it say, church, that we will give thanks to the Lord with my heart? whole heart. There's no half-hearted praise of the Lord. There's no uh, half-hearted gratitude for the things of God. No, to live a life of praise, praising the Lord means that He demands all of us. There are no corners of our life that are off limits to Him. There are no sphere of influence. There's no uh, responsibility that God has given us that we, uh, that He does not demand all of our praise, our entirety of our gratitude. See, as believers, as followers at Redemption, we are committed to, the, uh, to our three W's. That we are believers, disciples who are committed to worshiping Christ, walking with Christ, and working for Christ in everything and in every season. See, we are to be all in. And this also then becomes our witness. And so a life of praise means that we are all in. But here's the second point. We're to get plugged in. Where is this wholehearted thanksgiving happen? Where does it happen? It happens in the company of the upright, in the congregation. See, uh, wholehearted praise happens in community. It happens in the church with other believers who are pursuing Christ together in the congregation. Personal praise is important, but it is only a part of it. See, we are made to live in community. Disciples who glorify God also gather with the people of God. 
And God has designed us to be plugged into a growing, healthy, vibrant body of believers. See, the gathering of believers has always been threatened. In every age, in every era. It may be new for us in our lifetime. But we will not stop gathering. We will not stop praising God. We will not stop plugging in uh, in faith to one, with one another as we seek to glorify God. And let me just tell you this. There's no better time than now to get plugged into the work that God is doing at Redemption. God is at work here. He is, he is doing His good work. And so if you're a guest with us, if you've uh, been visiting for just a, a, a little bit, then now is a, a great time to continue to get plugged into our church. And you can do that. Uh, even as Aaron mentioned at the beginning of the service, we'll have step one, just a way to connect with us right out there in the conference room immediately after the service. Just come and connect with us. As you've heard the testimonies of God working here among us, you'll continue to hear more. And so a life of praise means that we are all in, that we are plugged in, but we must also stay tuned in to the great work of God. And so verse 2 goes on. It says, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. And so we are both students of the word and also admirers of the word. We delight in the Bible because it reveals to us the God of the Bible. We study the Bible because it reveals to us the God of the Bible. And this duty and delight, they go hand in hand. We apply ourselves to the study, the diligent study of the Word of God because we want to know who God is. And the more we do that, the more our affections are stoked to live for the glory of God. And I don't know about you, but there are days where, uh, where like a dance partner, sometimes duty leads the way and other times delight leads the way in our pursuit of God. And the days where we just don't feel like it, we must do it just out of duty uh, so that our heart is, is tuned into the Lord. And there are days where maybe we're just overly dutiful and we're feeling cold and we must do our duty so that we stoke those fires of affection for the Lord. So to live a life of praise is to stay tuned in and also to keep abiding in. Verse 5 tells us that God is the provider, remember? He's generous. He provides food for what? Those who fear Him. Now this is a phrase repeated in the Bible. Maybe you've heard it uh, over and over and you're confused by it. You're wondering, like, what, what does this mean? Are we to be like cower in fear, like a horror movie before the Lord? tell you church to fear God is a fear that that draws us in not casts us away to fear the Lord is in the same way that we fear fire which interestingly enough is a illustration of uh, God's presence over and over again in the scriptures God appears in a fire in a burning bush to Moses and again at the birth of the church there at Pentecost the Holy Spirit shows up in fire and like a fire the warmth draws us in we stand in awe as the flames crackle and as the as the blaze consumes the wood and so we it, it draws us in but we are held back in respect and fear not wanting to just jump right into the fire knowing what it would do to us and the harm that it would cause to us instead we're drawn in we want to abide near it and experience the warmth and we Abide in Christ, and we want to experience His nearness, His provision. And so, church, we are to be a people of God. A life of praise is one of being fearful abiders, drawing near to the Lord. 
desiring to know Him more and to live a life of praise. See, we're not to fear bad news. We're not to fear adversaries. We're not to fear viruses. We are to be a people who fears the Lord. It's the next psalm. Psalm 112 would begin and says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And it goes on to explain all that that looks like. And so a life of praise is being uh, all in, of uh, getting plugged in, of staying tuned in, of continuing to abide in, and then to be bought in. See, verse 8, uh, we're, we're told here that, the, that God's word, He is faithful and just, His word is trustworthy, and then His precepts are to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. And so His word that we study uh, with our mind and delight in in our heart is also to be obeyed in our actions. Not performed like we're putting on a performance, but we get to come before the Lord using our gifts of being faithful witnesses. His trustworthy precepts are to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness as Jesus, our example, showed us how. Yes, He was our example, having lived out the precepts of the Lord perfectly, but He is also our mediator. Knowing that we could not do it, enabling us to imperfectly give it our best. As we are bought into the things of God, serving Him, and the more we understand about God, then the easier this becomes along the way, along the journey of following Christ. See, our faithfulness, our holiness, our uprightness, then is a form of praise. It's worship because it tells the Lord, God, I believe in your way. I I believe that your way is best. And For three years, redemption has sought to be a church that is faithful and upright. Many times we could have taken uh, the easy way. We could have taken, uh, we could have cut corners. We could have given into fads for church growth or more rapid multiplication. There are times where we wondered where we would meet or who was going to serve. Instead, what we sought to try to do as faithfully as we could was not take matters into our own hands, but to seek the way of faithfulness. We bought into His Word and to believe that His way is best. That Christ's victory on the cross is greater than any uh, earthly uh, defeat that we may have experienced. So we are bought into His way. By God's grace, we will continue to praise God by being bought into His way this next year and for the next three years. And if the Lord should tarry for the next 30 years. And all of these things, this life of praise is again summed up in verse 10 as we are to jump in. As we're just to jump in, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Something you've probably heard, it's the beginning, it's also the completion. It's, it's everything. It's this, we, we practice it daily. And then we understand more, right? The more we put it into practice, the more we understand. And then as we do it time and time again, decision after decision to follow the Lord, to trust the Lord, to fear the Lord, then our praise endures through everything. His praise endures forever. This is a durable praise that God has called us to. It's a praise that withstands every season, that withstands every setback, that withstands every threat and every trial and every grief. Why? Because God is forever holy and awesome. His praise endures forever, not because uh, we will just give it to Him, which we will all throughout eternity, but because forever God is holy and awesome. And this inspires a rugged, durable praise that has carried us these last three years. 
that is carrying us even into this ministry year and will carry us into the future for whatever this ministry year holds for us. And it will ultimately carry our praise for eternity. That holy and awesome is his name. You know, a year ago, I stood before you at our two-year anniversary, and we opened up to Psalm 127, and we said that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We knew its application at that time as our move from Fryheit into the build-out of this building. But little did we know what else God had in store for us in 2020, did we? Little did we know, and yet look what God has built among us. Look how God has grown us. Look at the ministry impact that we've had and the maturation that has happened in you throughout this last year. For the glory of God, how your praise has become more passionate. And so I just ask this question with hopeful anticipation of the Lord. What will God do among us and through us this year? What will he do as we with unafraid witness proclaim with all we have, holy and awesome is his name. What will he do? What will he do as you study, as you delight, as you fear the Lord? Our faith will grow. Our praise will grow. Our boldness will grow. Our worship will become white hot. That's for sure. And so we want to be a church that celebrates and anticipates the work of God, captivated by this thought that holy and awesome is our God. And so as we celebrate this and anticipate what God will do, we're going to now respond just as we worship through communion. The symbol of what was referred to as God has sent redemption to his people. And we're going to respond just by worshiping.